0: Thanks for joining us at Faith Bible Chapel. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and brings you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service, find a small group, or simply find out more about the church, stop by our website at www.faith.church. We are continuing this series through the book of Mark, and we keep walking step by step, story by story, account by account, as we look at the life of Jesus. And I really believe today God's going to use this message to bring deliverance to many, many of our lives today. I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to untwist some lies that the enemy has told us and bring a sense of truth and security to our own hearts. But we've walked with Jesus. We've we've seen Jesus as as we've walked through the book of Mark. We've seen him heal the sick. We've seen him cast out demons. We've seen him challenge the Pharisees and the religious leaders and legalism of the day. We've seen him pick his team and call people to himself that no one else probably would have picked, but he did. And we come today to a portion in this journey with Jesus where he addresses something. And actually we're going to take it in two different steps. He first talks about binding a strong man. And he talks about going into the house of a strong man and stealing the strong man's possessions. Very interesting parable and story and we'll get there in just a moment. But then he does talk about something after that that many of us in this room have feared. I know myself as a young believer, there were times of my journey that I thought that I had committed this sin and the sin we're going to be talking about today is the unpardonable sin. It's called the blaspheming of the Holy Spirit. And so many of us in our journey with Jesus have questioned Did I do it? Did I somehow accidentally commit the sin that, according to this passage we're gonna to read today, is unforgivable? There's a lot of confusion around this. There's a lot of fear in the body of Christ. And I believe today that the Lord Jesus wants to give you security and hope and peace that the work of his cross over your life is greater than anything that you could ever do or face. I really, I really believe that today. And this message today, it really is close to my heart because I myself struggled with this fear. I also had a roommate in Bible college who thought he had committed this sin that we're going to look at in just a minute. But the reality is this is any of those beliefs the reason why we have fears about really anything is because our belief system isn't rooted in the goodness of God it's rooted in circumstances. The reason why many of us fear things, and particularly this, is that our belief system isn't rooted in the superiority of God and him sending his son to this earth and dying for us. And somehow we have twisted some things because we all want to somehow have some part in our own salvation because we're Americans, by golly, and we do it with our own two hands. But here's the deal with that and salvation. You cannot do anything to save yourself because, because if you could, you could boast about it. And God says, he saves us so that no one can boast. So this is a pure act of grace that he would extend to you and to save us and to reach us. And so we're going to be looking at this today, and and I believe God's going to do something amazing in us. But before we look at that issue of blaspheming of the Holy Spirit, we need to look at a parable that Jesus gives Now remember, Jesus has been ministering. He's been talking to many different people. He's been healing. And the Pharisees are, are, they really don't like him. And now we're going to find, we're going to see that he faces, Jesus faces criticism from people who are actually really close to him. And so after this parable, in the context of this parable, he mentions the unpardonable sin. And we'll look at that in just a moment. But I want to first read this parable, and then we'll get into this about Jesus, what he is saying to us today. Mark chapter 3. Verse 20 starts this, And Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered. So he and his disciples were not even able to eat. they was, was so packed in there. They wanted to get close to Jesus, which I don't blame them. When his, when his family, meaning Jesus' family, heard about this, they went to take charge of him. For they said, look at what his family said, He is out of his mind. Any, anybody ever told you you're out of your mind? Anyone here? Oh, don't raise your hand. And the teachers of the law... Who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by Beelzebub, By the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. So remember, they had seen him um, bring deliverance to people and casting out demons in people who were tormented. And he was casting them out. And they said, well, you know what? He's doing that because he is the devil. And so Jesus called them over to him and he began to speak to them in parables. He says this, how can Satan drive out Satan? So this is this first parable and understanding what, what does this really mean. Mean? And in this passage, we see that Jesus has faced criticism. And I will tell you this, if you are making any headway in the kingdom of God, if you are doing anything that is pushing back the, the kingdom of darkness, you will face opposition and critics. I promise you, you will. And you will face them from people you never thought would criticize you. you will, people will say things about you that just are not true. They are lies. And we see that happening with Jesus right here in this, in this encounter. And it, the same thing will happen to you. But also what's very interesting is he faced some criticism that uh, uh, maybe a lot of people never really picked up on. From his own stinking family he faced criticism And when you look into Scripture and when you look at different characters throughout throughout the Bible, many times when you decide to follow God, when you decide to press into God, when you decide to allow God's will to be fulfilled through your life, many times the most pushback you're going to get is from those who are closest to you. Joseph, it was his own family. We find this in other characters of the Bible that that, that when God's hand was on someone, all of a sudden it seemed like people began to turn against them, and Jesus fully understands that, and he's walked through the same thing. So for us, we need to know this, that we will face opposition and criticism when we walk in the will of God. And when you face criticism, and when people lie about you because you are truly pursuing the will of God, and people... No, whatever they say about you or to you and it's, and it's evil and it's not good and they criticize and they have suspicion about maybe your motives and all of that, you need to know this. It's actually not because you're heading the wrong way. It's because you're heading the right way. And I think if you actually don't have any opposition in your life, then maybe you're not doing anything. I'm being honest with you. You're really not leaning into things. You're really not living from a place of righteousness because righteousness in our our broken, hurting world, it's very, very difficult to stand and to live for it. Without being criticized or lied about. What I love about Jesus, he actually never really tries to justify himself. He never tries to defend himself. And what I love about Jesus, because he's super clever, because he is the God of the universe. He's really smart, and he just asked them questions that many times just left them speechless. They didn't know how to answer it. And so Jesus continued to face malicious criticism for these, from these religious leaders throughout his ministry. And when he faced them, he, he just he responded in such a way, and that's the account we have today. And so I want to give some background about some of the things that were said to Jesus. Hopefully it will help us understand the more significance of this parable and how he responded and why he responded with what he said after this parable. When the Pharisees told Jesus that he was possessed by Beelzebub, it was a nasty insult. And I'll tell you why. The name Beelzebub literally means the Lord of the Flies. Anybody ever read that book? That's actually what what it's from. But Beelzebub was a pagan deity of the ancient Phoenicians and it was supposed to be the God of death. It was the God of filth. Matter of fact, it was actually, you can actually go further. He was the God of feces. Isn't that nice? Ancient people, though, what happened is that a lot of them, they they tended to worship things they didn't understand. And so this is the thing they didn't understand. So for for the ancient Phoenicians, they observed when something was rotten on the ground or something was dead on the ground, like an animal or garbage or sewage, after a while... The god, of, or Beelzebub, would, would bring forth these magic little white worms. Anyone catching in the drift? And then those little magic white worms would turn into flies. And they would swarm around the death. And now we know that uh, those little magic worms are called maggots, is what they are. But they didn't understand this. It's, but in the Jewish culture, in the Jewish um, literature, Beelzebub was a chief, the chief demon. And sometimes he was even referred to as Lucifer himself. So now you realize what these Pharisees were speaking to Jesus. They were calling him Satan. They were calling him Lucifer. They were calling him the the miracles in which he performed and he set the lame free. He cast out the demons. They were saying he's doing that under the power of the devil. And so this was a nasty insult. Now, because Jesus is perfect and he knows exactly what to say and how to say it, he's totally secure. He's not insecure. He's not going to respond. He, and he, he asked this question, okay, so how does Satan drive out Satan? Explain that to me. And then the master teacher shared that short parable that we just read. It was, it's mysterious about a strong man a strong man's house, a strong man who tied up the strong a stronger man who tied up the strong man and then that stronger man that robbed the house. So, what was Jesus saying in the par- parable? And first I want to look look at this and talk about truths that will set you free from this parable. Number 1, this is what Jesus is saying and saying today and I'm saying today is this, Satan is strong, but Jesus is stronger. Amen. You can clap for that one. That's good. <laughs> Jesus is strong, is stronger than Satan. And out of 1 John 3:8, so the question is, why did Jesus come? Well, let me tell you why he came. The reason the son of God, meaning Jesus, appeared and came to this earth was to destroy the devil's work. That's why he came. To dismantle the devil's work. For who? for you. The devil's work didn't influence Jesus. The devil's work didn't influence God, didn't somehow put God in a bind, but it sure did put humanity in a bind. And Jesus came to unwind, to rip off the chains, and to completely demolish the, the devil's work over our lives. That's why he came. So Satan is real. We understand that. But, and also you need, I said, Satan's strong. But sometimes we make the mistake that we think that that Satan and God are like the same and they battle it out all the time. You need to understand this. And a lot of times we give qualities to Satan that only God possesses. Because the reality is this. God is the one who is everywhere all the time. Satan is not. God is the one who is all-powerful. God is the one who who possesses all strength and might and power. Satan does not. We need to understand God is the one who knows everything and knows all knowledge and understands and and can be everywhere at once, hearing every conversation at once with the answers to everything. Satan cannot know everything. He just, he cannot because he is a fallen angel. He is not God. So this is not Satan and God just duking it out on this earth. No, no, it is God and Satan. That's what you need to understand. Now, he isn't any of those qualities that God is, but the scripture does say he is like a roaring lion roaming about seeking those he may devour, seeking those he may deceive. So in this parable, let me just explain it. The strong man in this parable is the devil. But again, Jesus is stronger. Satan's house is the world. Satan actually in Scripture is called the prince of this world. Jesus is the one who came into the world, the stronger one, who through the cross and his resurrection kicked the door open, came into the world, grabbed Satan by the back of his neck, tossed him in a corner, tied him up, bound him up, and then stole the possessions of the house. What are the possessions of the house? It's mankind. So he actually didn't go into the house and steal anything. He went into the house and took back what was rightfully his in the first place. And that's your life, and that's your family, and that's your freedom, and that's your peace, and that's your healing. He took it all back. So he kicked a door in, tied up Satan, tossed him over in the corner. I think he made him put his nose in the corner as well. Came in and took care of it. Took all that. He made a way for the mankind to be saved. And he stepped into the world. And and he stepped into Satan's broken house of horrors. And he delivered people from sin, from sickness, from death. That's why he came to the world. He came to set people free from demon possessions and deal with all of the evil and the wickedness in Satan's kingdom. That's why Jesus came. So that's what that parable means. Now we do know this. The final judgment of evil and wickedness will come at the second coming of Jesus. And Jesus will take Satan, he will judge and throw Satan and all those who have rejected him and all those who serve Satan into a prison that's called hell for eternity. And I'll talk more about that in just a moment. So yes, Satan is strong, but my friends, Jesus is incomparably stronger. Amen? Okay. The second thing that Jesus is saying through this parable is number two. And I mentioned it, but through the cross, Jesus bound and robbed Satan. How many are grateful for that? I'm so grateful for that. So Jesus, through the cross, through his resurrection, has broken the authority of Satan over all those who put their trust in himself. So Jesus has all of those who have come to Jesus, who have received his salvation, what Jesus has done, he has broken the authority off over their lives. So when you come to Jesus Christ, immediately every authority that Satan has over your life is severed immediately. That is, that, that is a good thing. For some reason, we like to think, "Yes, I'm in Christ, but this part of my life is over here with the devil, and this part of my life is attached to my great grandpappy who who sinned, and this over here is my great aunt, and this." Listen, it has been severed. You are a new creation in Jesus Christ. You need to understand that you may have you may have tendencies of your personality. You might. You might have learned behavior that you've picked up in your family that maybe you struggle with. But the reality is this. Either you are a new creation in Jesus or, and, or you are not. And the Bible says that you are. So that's what you need to understand. But Jesus broke the authority off of your life. Look at Colossians chapter 2. And I have it right here. It says this. Jesus, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. In other words, all of us were born into sin and we had violated. We have all sinned. We have all fallen short. There had to be a pen- penalty for our sin. Well, Jesus canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us. He condemned and us and condemned us. He has taken it away. What did he do with it? Well, he nailed it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, that's Satan and Satan's kingdom, he made a public spectacle of them. What does that mean? It means he drug them out into the courthouse of eternity, stripped them naked and said, look at them, they lost. That's what he did. And he triumphed over them by the cross. This is what Jesus has done. Listen, anytime you, you come to a place where you think, oh, you know, the devil's bad and this, but I'm in Jesus and maybe, listen, get this scripture out, you read this, you declare this over your life and you say, this is true, my thoughts are not true, this is true. And That's what you need to hold on to. So what does this mean to us? It means this, the devil has been defeated. Is he active? Yeah. But was he rendered powerless? On the cross, scripture said he was. So Satan knows his doom. He knows his doom is sealed. What we do know is this, is that the cross and the resurrection of Jesus dealt a mortal wound to Satan. In other words, his end is on its way. And you might be thinking, you know, Jason, I don't don't know if that's true because Satan seems to be... Um, at, at large in the world. He seems to be running amok in my life. He seems to... Listen, this, this is how I... The best comparison I know is, is wh- how, why is that? He's like a wounded animal. If you've ever been around a wounded animal, he, that, those wounded animals will fight to the end. And although he is defeated, he's still fighting, he's, he's grappling, he's clawing to take down anybody else with him. But he knows he is defeated. When you read Revelations 21, it is very clear that Satan will be judged and tossed away forever. And that's going to be a good day. That'll be a good day. But if you are, if you are in Jesus Christ, if you are in Jesus Christ, he no longer has any authority over your life. He will try, to, he will try to, uh, to kill your joy, to steal your peace. He'll try to destroy your testimony. But his power is broken over you. And you can say to him when you sense the, the stench of his presence, you can say, Satan, you leave me alone. You leave my family alone. Listen to me, Satan. Greater is he in me than he that is in the world. Now get the heck out of Dodge. That's what you can tell him. So here's Jesus in this account. He's being accused of being the devil. And so Jesus takes this opportunity to talk to them. Remember, well, remember the whole context. They are, they are actually telling Jesus he's Satan. So he takes the time to speak about the hardness of their hearts. And this next, this next statement that Jesus says is a scary warning. And I don't take it lightly. It's a scary warning to those who do not know Jesus and who reject Jesus. And I want you to know this, that Jesus did not say this statement that we're going to read in just a moment. He did not say it to those who are saved. So many people live in fear that they will somehow unknowingly commit this sin of blasphemy. But I want to look at this today and allow the truth to set you Free. So after Jesus told this parable, he wants to now speak to the hardness of those who are telling him he's demonic. His miracles are done in the name of the devil. And he then begins to speak uh, out of this passage. He says this, truly, remember they're connected. They're not separate, they're connected. Truly I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemies against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven wow they are guilty of an eternal sin and they said this because they were saying he is an impure spirit now look at this he said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit so this is, this is what we need to talk about one what is the the what is blas, blasphemy against the holy spirit there's a lot of confusion around this in the body of Christ many believers and I believe the Lord wants to set us free today. First, I want to look at what it isn't. Number 1, it is not done accidentally. You don't commit this sin accidentally. Another thing that it's not and I I've, I've I've heard it someone say it is before, it's not murder. Murder is not the unpardonable sin. Moses was a murderer and he'll be in heaven. It's not adultery. King David committed adultery and God forgave them, forgave him. Now, were the consequences of their sin? Absolutely. It was, they were horrific. But they were forgiven. It's not divorce because the woman at the well had multiple divorces and she was forgiven. Now, are the consequences of your sin? Yes, there is. It's not. And this, this one, this one is maybe sounds a little shocking, but I think it's important to talk about. It's not suicide. And some would say, well, a person who commits suicide can't repent of that sin because they're dead. Well, if that's what we think, then we really don't understand salvation. Because once you are a Christian, you don't have to confess every sin you commit in order to get back into heaven. So you don't live your life from a place of like, I had a, I had a, I had a lustful thought. Now I'm, I'm out of heaven. Oh, Lord, forgive me for that. Then I'm back into heaven. Or I got angry. Oh, shoot, I'm out of heaven. Lord, forgive me. Oh, I'm back in heaven again. We don't go from this. We're in his family, out of his family. In his family, out of his family. Because we confess or we don't confess. That is a, that, that's something that has plagued, I believe, the church a lot because you could have you could have a bad thought and then die and get to get to the pearly gates and uh, and God said, mm, sorry, you had a bad thought before you came. You're out of here." Now, we confess our sins to stay close and intimate in fellowship with God. Just like just like I don't I don't have to I don't have to ask for my wife's forgiveness if I treat her wrongly to stay married to her. I'm still married. But I do need to ask for her forgiveness if I want to have a marriage, if I want intimacy, if I want closeness. Because repentance resets the standard of the relationship. Repentance is about humbling yourself before God and saying, Lord, I'm sorry. And him healing you and and touching your life. And when you surrender your life to Jesus, this this is an incredible thought. I want you to hear it. When you surrender your life to Jesus, every past sin you've committed and every future sin you will ever commit is covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's powerful. And you need to understand that. Repenting after salvation is about continually continually submitting yourself to God, staying close to him, having a relationship with him and being conformed into his image. That's what repentance after salvation is about. We do that. We, and I say this about me. I, I want to keep a short account with God. If I, if I mess up, if I get angry, I say, oh, Lord, forgive me, help me. God, just, I, I'm yours. Please cleanse me if I've allowed any, any offense or, or if I've allowed anything I've, I've, I've watched, anything I've listened to, any attitude I've allowed in my life. God, cleanse me, forgive me. Lord, restore to me. And then you just keep walking with God. But I didn't lose my salvation because I got angry. So let's look at what blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is. Jesus said this in John 16, 8. First we need to look at what what is the job of the Holy Spirit, okay? Jesus said this, and when he, speaking of the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world of its sins and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. So it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict the world of its sin. It's not the church's job quiet there. It's, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict the world of, of its sin. It's the Holy Spirit's job to, to show and to compare in a moment of conviction, our, God's standard of righteousness is we have fallen way short. That's the Holy Spirit's job. And the Holy Spirit's job is to, is to convict the sinner that if they don't do something about the conviction that they're feeling, there is coming a judgment and that judgment is what is called Hell. And these things, the Holy Spirit's conviction comes when the Word of God is preached through the proclamation. That's why Scripture says, how are they here unless someone tells them? How can someone tell them unless someone is sent? So that's why we preach the gospel every week. We allow people the chance to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to them, to convict them, to show them that their standard is way short. and if If they don't do something about it today and give their life to Jesus, there is coming a judgment of hell for them. And that's just the reality. So before you can ever be saved, you have to experience a sense of guilt over your sinful condition. Jesus said, this is the role of the Holy Spirit, not the role of your wife. Not the role of the husband. Yes, we can speak truth, but it's the conviction that helps us realize we have fallen short. So the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is number two. It is done on purpose. It's not done accidentally, it is done on purpose. The word blasphemy actually means to speak against. So blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is when when the person says no to the conviction of the Holy Spirit to be saved. And in that moment, they're speaking against the Holy Spirit. In that moment, this rejection is what, it, what, what this is talking about, the rejection of salvation. The rejection is saying, no, I don't want your salvation, Holy Spirit. No, I'm going to live this life how I want to live it. That's what it is. This is making this... this Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is the conscious choice not to accept salvation, not to accept that Jesus is the Messiah, not to accept that God so loved the world that he sent his only son. The only unpardonable sin is refusing to let God pardon you. That's the only unpardonable sin. And that's what Jesus is talking about. His audience is the Pharisees. His audience, remember, he says he said this because they, they said he had an impure spirit. They had rejected him. Everything that he said about himself, they had rejected him. As long as you are breathing, though, God will continue to reach out to you. You will continue to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And the more you resist salvation, the harder your heart will become. So my, my, my request to you today, if that is you, if you have resisted the, the, the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life, if you have resisted Jesus, don't do it any longer. Give your life to Jesus today because you still have a chance because you can still sense the conviction of the Holy Spirit on your life. Number three, what is blaspheming of the Holy Spirit? It is, it is to continually, willfully, and maliciously resist the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Remember again the context of these words, the interaction of these words from Jesus... He's talking to these Pharisees who were cursing him. They were calling him the devil. They were criticizing him. And here Jesus is talking about someone who has hardened their hearts against God. They said this, we don't believe you're the Messiah. We reject you, Jesus. We reject your truth. And everything you're doing, you're doing it under the power of the devil, not the power of God. That is what's called the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And he's talking to this Jewish Pharisees who are, who are rejecting him, claiming he's evil. And so Billy Graham said this about the unpardonable sin. I love how, how he, he wrote this. He said, the unpardonable sin involves a total and irrevocable rejection of Jesus Christ. It is rejecting completely and finally the witness of the Holy Spirit, which declares that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, who alone can save us from our sins. No one has committed the unpardonable sin who continues to be under the disturbing, convicting, and drawing power of the Holy Spirit. And so that brings us to our final point today that I believe will set some of you free. The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, number four, cannot. Everybody said cannot. cannot. Be committed by someone who is concerned that they have committed it. Just let that soak in. The unpardonable sin cannot be committed if you're worried if you've committed it or not. Because this, the, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is to completely reject everything about Jesus. It's to reject who he is. And I've talked to people before, they were scared that they've committed this unpardonable sin. And I tell them, well, you haven't. They said, well, how do you know? I said, because you're scared that you have. This person who commits this sin that Jesus is talking about is the person who does not care that they've committed it. They have zero concern. It was a choice and an act of their will to to blaspheme the Holy Spirit. What Jesus t- is talking about here is the complete rejection of Jesus Christ, complete rejection of the conviction of the Holy Spirit, con- total and absolute rejection of him. So for many of us in the body of Christ, our, our growth and our journey with God has been stunted because we feared that we've done the sin. And the enemy has lied to you. And I, I, I want you to hear today. That that is a lie. If you are concerned and if you think that that you're going to hell because maybe somewhere that you're blaspheming the Holy Spirit and your your heart is is aching and you sense God speaking to you, you sense the sense of, of, of conviction, listen, you are moving the right direction. Reject those lies and step into the reality that Jesus loves you. That if you've asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life, if you, have, if you are growing in your relationship with him, it doesn't mean you have to be perfect. Only one man was perfect, and that was Jesus. And I don't think any of us have reached Jesus' status. I guarantee you that. And you're growing, and you're desiring to lay your life at his feet. And even if you're in a struggle, even if you're, it's about the journey of submitting yourself to God. God wants you today, if that's you, God wants you to rejoice in the love and the care that he has for you. God wants you to be free from from all fear of eternal damnation. He wants you to embrace the hope of heaven. Receive the freedom of Jesus Christ that you already have. Walk in confidence that you're a child of God. You're purchased by the blood of Jesus. And he's called you to be a part of his family. And because of his blood, you were kings and priests to rule and reign this earth. You totally grab your identity as a daughter and a son of God. And you live in that. Don't live in the lies in your head. Amen. And I want you to remember today, I want you to remember the words of Jesus, that he was speaking about those who have given their lives to him, who have asked him him to forgive them of their sins and given their lives to God through Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus said. He said this, I will give them, meaning those who are following him, eternal life, and they shall never, say never. never. Say it again. Oh, so good. No one will snatch them. Say, no one one. will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. Say, greater. Greater. No one, say, "No no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. How many are grateful for this eternal security? Amen. Amen. Your Father, today on Father's Day, wants you to rest in your salvation. He wants you to have eternal security, not eternal insecurity. He wants you to delight that your life is in his house, that your spirit is already dwelling with him in heavenly places. The enemy wants you to question it. This is what I know. I know our heavenly father is perfect and his love is perfect toward toward his children. And none of us father here today would ever want our own children walking around questioning if, if, if my father accepts me, if my father loves me. No good father would want that. None of us fathers would ever come to a place where we're okay with our children um, thinking, whether, they, not knowing if they're accepted in the family or not, if, they, if they're in good standing with the family or not. It would grieve my heart. Our Heavenly Father is absolutely perfect. He says, listen, you come, you, listen, you're in my family. You walk in this house. I, I would, it would grieve my heart if my kids walked in the house and, and felt uncomfortable in their, in their own house. And well, I don't know if this is my house. I don't know if I'm in the family or not. If I I don't, man, it would grieve my heart. I said, listen, this is your house. I want my kids to walk in, the, walk in the, the house and kick open the door and throw the shoes off in the corner without mom seeing. And I want them to go to the, to the refrigerator, open it up, and eat whatever they want to eat. I want them to, to, to just, this is their house, to relax, be at home. Stop striving. I want, I want my house, my family to be a place of peace, of restoration, of life, of safety. That's what God has for you. That's what God wants. He doesn't want you to to be uncertain of the of the home that you belong in. It's yours. He purchased your life. He changed your last name. He gave you a new name. You're a new creation in Christ. That's what baptism represents. Your old life is gone as you go down to the water. You come up to live a brand new life and come into his family. Come on, son. Come on, daughter. Embrace the reality that your old life is gone and your new life is in me. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what he's speaking about. we can come boldly into the presence of God. And I think the greatest thing that we can understand on this Father's Day is how much our Heavenly Father adores us, I really do. How much your Heavenly Father delights in you. How much grace He has for you when you stumble and when you fall and when you sin. He's not there to condemn you. Actually, Jesus said, I didn't come to the world to condemn the world, I came to save the world. And your father runs to you, and he picks you up. And when you scrape your knee on the, on the concrete of, of sin, he's there to bring healing to you. He's, here to, he's there to bring healing to your soul, healing to your body, healing to your mind, healing to your relationships. He's the father who runs out the door, down the street, scoops you up, gets you back home, cleans up your leg, and, and gives you Oreos and milk just because he loves you. That's the type of dad he is. He takes care of you. He kisses your wounds. He holds you. And He heals you. He heals you from the pain of your sin. He heals you from the pain of your slip-up. He heals you from the pain of your mistakes. Why? Because He's a good dad. We have an amazing Father. Who's his message to you on Father's Day that is all throughout the Word of God is this, and I want you to hear it. Let it go deep in your heart and never let it go. He says this, his message all throughout the Bible to those who put their trust in him is this, after you put your trust in me, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you and never forsake you. And that's his heart for you today. That's what you need to understand. I think many of us need to cross from a a life of of performance and trying to please God and trying to do all the right things so that he will accept us to actually embracing that Jesus has already done everything so that God has already accepted us. We live from the place of forgiveness and salvation. We don't strive to it. We live from the place that we are a son and daughter of God. We're not striving to become it. We already are. And God just wants you to be delighted today that he's a good father, that he loves you more than you could ever dream. He accepts you more than you accept yourself. For all those who have put their trust in Jesus, we should celebrate today that our father's pretty amazing, isn't he? Isn't he? Can we give the Father a hand today? Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like to watch a service live online, you can join us every Sunday at 9 and 1045 a.m. at live.faith.church. For everything else, check our website at www.faith.church.